Welcome to BDO To Go, casual industry conversation brought to you by the restaurant industry professionals at BDO. The constantly evolving landscape of the industry forces operators and owners to adapt quickly and maintain a keen awareness of consumer and economic shifts. Understanding these business impacts and insights is key to the continued success and resilience of the restaurant industry. That's why we crafted our new BDO To Go podcast series, a monthly podcast that you can take to go. Now here's your host, Jeff Tuba. Welcome to another episode of the BDO To Go Restaurant Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Tuba, and I want to thank you on behalf of myself, but also our entire restaurant practice at BDO for taking the time to tune in and listen to this episode. We encourage you to click the subscribe button to automatically download our episodes and also to rate our podcast, as well as sharing it with your friends and colleagues. We hope you enjoy the content that you can take with you to go. Well, I'm very excited to be joined on this episode by Bob Wright, President and Chief Executive Officer at Potbelly Sandwich Works. I'm sure everyone listening is familiar with the restaurant concept, but now you all get to know Bob a little bit more. Uh, Bob's a veteran of the industry. He's held various leadership positions at a number of concepts throughout his career. Uh, his most recent venture prior to Potbelly was with the Wendy's Company. Uh, he joined Potbelly in July of 2020, and we're excited to learn more about his restaurant experience and his insights. So, Bob, thank you for joining us today. Well, I'm happy to be here. So, Bob, let's, let's just start, you know, with your restaurant background, as it's you know always nice for people to get to know people on podcasts. Can you walk us through what intrigued you about the restaurant industry in the in the beginning, and then maybe just a high level overview of some of those leadership positions you've held over the years? Oh yeah, I'd be delighted to, uh, Jeff. You know, I, it, it's funny as I look back on my life, I, I was fascinated with restaurants when uh, chain restaurants started growing, really in my middle school and high school days, but. It wasn't until I started delivering pizzas the summer after my freshman year in college at Domino's Pizza that I realized just how much I liked working in restaurants. And I was attracted to the idea of being a franchisee. And in Domino's, you had to be a manager first uh, for a year, in fact, before you could be a franchisee in that system. So I entered the management program and and did a number of things uh, at Domino's Pizzas with the brand for over 12 years, including a short stint as a franchisee in my early 20s. but uh, I love the company side, and I've, I've been doing that uh, really ever since for a little over three decades now. Um, as I mentioned, with Domino's in a number of different roles and had the chance to advance in multi-unit operations and training, and, and uh, my first two relocations occurred with that company. I joined Wendy's in the late 90s uh, in franchise ops and, again, was uh, fortunate with some new opportunities for leadership there in company operations. And at one point, Wendy's owned some subsidiary companies, subsidiary brands. And it was really the first chance I had to to lead an entire brand. I I was the president of a company based in Texas called Cafe Express. Um, Still just a, a wonderful experience and really enjoyed it. Um, I was with Wendy's for 10 years, uh, did some corporate work there too, some corporate leadership work uh, before I went on for about six years, left Wendy's for about six years and did two other brands, Checkers and Rallies and Franchise and Company Ops. And at uh, Charlie's, Philly Steaks, or uh, at, uh, earlier in its day, it was called Charlie's Grilled Subs. And I had the COO uh, and interim CEO position at Charlie's as well. Um, I was recruited back to Wendy's and, and delighted to be recruited back. I love the brand and I uh, think a lot of uh, Dave Thomas's uh, heritage there and the focus on quality. 
I was the COO for Wendy's uh, for about another almost uh, six years, five and a half years with a lot of different, even within that title, I had a lot of different opportunities to lead in new and unique ways, including running international. Um, I led uh, part of the digital uh, business, the, the restaurant technology function to be specific and uh, built the customer experience department there too. So uh, most recently though, I, you know, I, I joined Potbelly and, that was after leaving Wendy's just a couple of years ago. So obviously with all those different experiences, was there something specific about Potbelly that you, you just made you really want to join as their president and, and CEO? Yeah, there was. And in fact, I'll be honest with you, I, I was, you know, I was fortunate to kind of reassess what, what that next season of life was looking like. And, and I, I was attracted to maybe go back to those, those early, you know, early days of wanting to be a franchisee and maybe even trying to build a multi-brand franchise business uh, for myself, um, kind of coming back around to that original dream. But I was contacted by one of our current board members who I had a business relationship with in the past and uh, asked me about Potbelly. I have always thought a lot of the Potbelly brand. Uh, I've been a customer for 20 years and I love the products. I love the the vibe that you get when you go into a Potbelly shop and you know, when I started talking to the board about the, the opportunity for the CEO role, um, candidly, the more we spent time talking about it, the more excited I got. It's a great brand. Um, very high volumes, uh, the highest volume sandwich shop chain in the country. Uh, so, you know, the, the fundamentals in terms of the unit level economics, which are critical, are really solid. Uh, but the brand has a level of differentiation that keeps it very special. And, I wouldn't want to be a part of a company where I didn't think the brand had that kind of differentiation. And you add to that, that it's a, just a tremendous turnaround opportunity. I mean, I joined right in the middle of COVID and that was, you know, that was its own set of burdens, but the, the brand itself had really kind of struggled. It hadn't it'd been losing traffic for a number of years. Uh, the profitability had been uh, decreasing for a number of years. Uh, unit level development had really stagnated, and that was on the backs of uh, a few years worth of just poor development. And and yet, I thought, you know, this this amazing strong brand with all these these component parts that should yield a lot of growth just weren't there and weren't in place. And so I was attracted to the turnaround. Everybody loves a challenge, and and um, everybody loves a turnaround when it's successful. So I I wanted a chance to be a part of that. But more than anything else, uh, the, the years in the restaurant space that if they taught me anything, growth is just a lot of fun. Um, it, it's great for the business. It's certainly great for the investors. Uh, it's, it's a tremendous thing for our employee base when you've got a growing company. And I think Potbelly has a mountain of growth ahead of it. And so to be able to be a part of a turnaround that, that had growth on the other side of the turnaround ultimately was what drew me in. And, uh, and I have not regretted it. In fact, uh, next week, I celebrate the end of my first year, and it feels like a few weeks. Uh, we're, we're having a great time building a team and getting through that, that turnaround phase. So we're, we're right about now turning towards growth, in fact. That's great. And I know Potbelly is one of those brands where, you know, when you, when you you talk about a brand or you're out just having casual conversation, it comes up, something triggers in your mind that you just start going, when are we going? When are we going to go eat? And I think that's, you guys have one of those brands that does it. Not every brand does that, but sometimes you just remember the experience you've had. And when somebody talks about it, it's like, okay, where's my milkshake, you know, or where's my cookies or, you know, the sandwich that I had last time. And I think you guys have that trigger, at least for me and, and, and those around me. So 
Uh, well, yeah, I appreciate uh, you saying that. I tell you, every time I've talked to someone about where I get a chance to work, um, the most common response is, oh, I love potbelly. And then someone goes on to tell me about why. And it's always about the food. I love the, I love getting a wreck or I love the shake and, you know, the little cookie on top. So they're, I feel the same way, by the way, when I, you know, when I started connecting with it. So th- thanks for saying that. Yeah, I think it's easy to say, oh, I like that brand. But you're getting, I like that brand because. And what you're interested mm-hmm. in is, okay, that's nice. You like it. You're interested in what comes after the because. And I, I, that's yeah. terrific that you're hearing those stories. You know, Bob, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, we, I mean, we tend to talk to guests about COVID. And, and I know we're hopefully coming out of COVID. But, you know, just the changes that took place. And I know when you and I spoke, you had some changes at the corporate office level when you joined and what was happening there. And can you talk a little bit about what's different than pre-COVID at the home office level? Uh, maybe just some tidbits that maybe some other brands could learn from and what that looks like going forward. Yeah, happy to. We, um, you know, look, like, like everyone, the, the workforce shifted dramatically almost overnight. And, you know, again, I stepped into this uh, after some of those changes had happened. So we're all in two Zoom meetings or, or Teams meetings uh, remotely. And, and when I'd stepped in, travel really hadn't started to return to the business yet. But, you know, in the restaurant space, we're already a diverse geography. We've got you know, we've got restaurants from coast to coast and from our northern all the way to our southern border. So we're already all over the country. And what what we decided to do was uh, to kind of lean into that notion that, that our business is where our customers are. And we have a corporate office. We, we have had one. We, uh, we decided to shrink that corporate office. We did make a few adjustments in our staff uh, at our support center. So there was good reason to do that. We took advantage, candidly, of the situation to be a much harder negotiator with our landlord, and we we shrunk it. We moved it downstairs. We're in the same building with the same landlord, but we structured it completely different. Also, so we don't we uh, we have offices, we have desks, we have conference rooms. None of which, though, have anyone's names on them. So we've moved to this hoteling environment in that office, and our. Our philosophy is that you work from anywhere, um, and our notion is that we want people to gather for work purposes, not according to a calendar. Um, I'm, I'm getting tremendous feedback from the team that they really like how we're doing this. So if we have a uh, something we need to collaborate on, uh, if we've got maybe group education that's necessary, innovation is often an area where you want to come together live and, and uh, get together and discuss the matters ahead strategic planning meetings and those types of things, you'll see us gathering at our office or at other satellite locations around. If not for those, uh, there's no question that productivity has increased as a result of the pandemic. All you have to do is look at the GDP output compared to the uh, uh, employment rates. And the only way that those things come together is the amount of productivity that's been injected. So when people are most productive, if they can do that from home, um, or they can do it from another location uh, that they choose. Uh, I know people on my team that are working from multiple different locations as it suits their personal needs as well as their business needs. And uh, we're getting a lot done. We've, we've I think, uh, proven that this model can work really well for us, and we're excited about it. Well, and I think it's a lot of companies taking that mentality of, I want to hire the best and not just the best that's in my local market. So that opens you up. Again, they hired you you're not in the home office area, and but they wanted the best, right. right? So you have the ability to do that now. I think people have proven through COVID you can do things remotely and you, you want the best on your team. 
Yeah, Jeff, uh, specifically, um, <clears throat> I've turned over almost my entire senior leadership team. And as I've searched for the very best talent, even at the most senior level, um, that approach that I've taken to work from anywhere has unlocked the door to talk to some unbelievably talented individuals that, that simply weren't going to trade their home again for a new career uh, opportunity. Um, I think that people have learned that they really do appreciate that connection to their community, to their family, uh, to their extended family and others. And they, uh, they've made the decision that they're not going to trade that again for another career move. And my chief people officer that we've hired, the chief, uh, um, the chief development officer that we hired were nearly finished, including my COO as well, all live in different states. And they're a fabulous team. Um, and uh, so I, I do think it's benefited us a great deal. That's great. So when you and I first started talking about this podcast, it's like, oh, well, what do we want to talk about? You know, if there's a, is there a subject matter beyond just getting to know you and the brand. Uh, and you mentioned it in your intro when you're talking about your experience. You mentioned franchising several times and even more as we've been talking. And that was what we kind of settled. It's like, you know, what, what are some insights you have on on franchising? And so. You know, I guess one of the things is really just starting at the beginning. You know, I have a lot of clients and just different people I talk to. They're like, I'm thinking about franchising this concept that I've built. It's my baby. I built it up. You know, I want to start franchising. So for people who are in that position, Bob, and they're looking to start franchising, what would you tell them to focus on in the early stages to help them be successful? Well, first and foremost, franchisees uh, can be just a, a wonderful cultural benefit to to a brand, uh, to a company. And so I think anybody that's entertaining the idea of franchising is, you know, it, it's a great way to go. You can certainly accelerate growth. Uh, but franchisees are also quite pragmatic. And the, the bottom line is if the unit level economics for whatever the business model is, if it's a service model, if it's a, you know, maybe it's an engineering model or if it's, you know, in my case, restaurants, retail, you name it, um, it, it will be successful in franchise growth if the unit level economics are advantageous to anybody that wants to put their hard-earned money on the line. There's two layers to that, of course. There's the investment economics, which you know, oftentimes the lower investment models uh, can be quite attractive to people that may not have the, the wealth to invest in an expensive concept. But then there's the operating uh, economic model as well. Does it, does it throw off enough cash flow and profitability to, to sort of check the box in the worth it column for someone that's going to invest all their time? And the interesting thing is different, different industries, different brands, different concepts appeal to different types of franchisees based on the balance of those two items. Obviously, if it's very capital intensive, then the operating economics need to be even stronger to support that capital investment. Um, and if it's not, then, you know, it may be a little more of a, a lower income opportunity, but could be a great chance for independence and business ownership. So I'd, I'd focus always on what is that clear definition of success in economics uh, for the business unit, whatever it's lowest common denominator of the business unit is. And the second thing uh, is, and I see this in, you know, some maybe newer franchise systems, you have to put the time and effort into the systems and the processes, the materials that support consistent operations, consistent understanding, um, and consistent execution of whatever that brand is. That's where the protection of the original concept comes from. And these founder brands, you know, they, the magic is in what the founder built. Uh, so franchising that and keeping that alive, it 
there's a there's a mountain of work in documenting what those core operating systems are and what things get prioritized, whether they're subjective or objective. They you've got to get that down on paper and it takes time. So those are those are two of the big ones I would say. Gotcha. Now also probably expose you to somebody else operating your restaurant, maybe helping you with some of the things that you didn't you thought you were doing well, but maybe you weren't doing them really well and they might help you with testing that and the feedback etc as, as you go with especially with those early franchisees before you start to really you know blow the concept up no question now you're talking about which franchisees you bring into your system because they can be they really can be wonderful partners for a franchisor uh, to to make the system stronger you know, you look at many of the restaurant concepts. Some of the some of the best food items on the menu in in many franchise concepts came from franchisees, uh, not from the innovation kitchen at the at the support center of the franchisor. That makes sense. So, when you look at expansion and market penetration as a franchisor, and you're looking at where these franchisees are, or maybe you want to do corporate stores. Um, you know, what in your mind is that best strategy for doing that market penetration effectively? I know a lot of people are like, well, how many units can I open? Well, maybe that's not the first thing that should come to mind. I guess just curious when you look at that market penetration topic, what comes to mind for you? Well, it's timely because uh, that I'm, I'm literally in the midst of that work now here at Potbelly. Um, and, uh, you know, this is a brand that's got 450 locations as I said already, spread coast to coast. So we're not a regional brand that is trying to figure out if it can go national. Uh, so I think you really need to understand where you're starting from. And, and I'd put that on two planes. One is who is your customer? And uh, how do you create that appeal and that connection to that customer? And if you are a regional and you're starting to grow, then you want to think about growing into areas where there's some familiarity, some some uh, maybe similarity of those customers and and the marketplace, so that you can you can grow with a higher degree of confidence where you go into. Uh, we're in a different spot. We we've already proven that the brand can travel to a lot of very different demographic and geographic locations. What we haven't done is we haven't planned the growth very well. So, you know, that's that's another part of, I think, market penetration is understanding, again, with us, same thing, understanding who's our consumer, uh, what does a customer profile look like, what's the profile of a successful unit. Um, I think, you know, anybody that wants to franchise and penetrate a market needs to have done enough on their own to prove that they really have a multi-unit concept uh, and not just a great single restaurant. But with that multi-unit concept, you can run the backward analysis on what's making those units successful. And there's so much data available today that wasn't there in the late 80s when I started. You know, it, it was a lot more gut and um, and market understanding based on people that lived there and knew the trade areas, had the right relationships with real estate developers and that sort of thing. Today, you can use that data and overlay it across uh, a market and compare your success profile to where that intersects with that same combination of success metrics in another market and determine where you're going to want to go. You know, us, for example, there are cities, big cities in this country where we don't have penetration yet. And we are doing that work so that we will have, even before we start talking to franchisees to sell those markets, we will have targeted trade areas uh, for locations and trade areas where we believe and, and really have great confidence that a potbelly will be successful. 
And so when we sell a 10 or 15 or 20 unit deal to a franchisee, they will also get from us in that geography where they should go looking for real estate. And uh, I think when you do that, you also control the ability to, to get the most out of the market. Because, uh, you know, I, I remember my early days at Domino's, we would have a, a great location and realize five years later that if we'd only built that location one and a half miles to the west, we could put another great location two and a half miles to the east, and we'd have two great locations, but we split the trade area by building the first one in the wrong place. And uh, so there's a, there's a lot of intentionality to market penetration that allows, I think, brands that, well, I'll give you a good example today. I think Wingstop's doing a great job with their market penetration because they're being thoughtful and planful, just the way I described yeah, sounds like a great marketing pitch for anyone listening who's looking at getting into being a franchisee or expanding and considering Potbelly. You just you heard the pitch from the president and CEO right there for you. So, uh, <laughs> but, but Bob, let's let's talk about the relationship. I know a lot of times that's where things can be really strong, but it's also where you could end up with just a lot of discontent, you know, on both sides. And I know you mentioned earlier that you, you know, turned over your management team and, and typically franchisees are going to outlast the management team of the franchisor because of, you know, leadership changes, like when they brought you in. So I guess, what are some steps you took at Potbelly? When you, when you came in, uh, you wanted to have a good relationship. So what are some things you did with franchisees to help that relationship in a positive way? Well, I think, you know, just like any relationship, it, it has to be a relationship. And I, you know, I got on the phone. Um, you know, first thing I did is, is a series of group calls that I set up when I first came on board. And, and there was a, a group call with all the franchisees. Um, I've had similar group calls with all of the franchisees every single time we've made a change, whether someone left the senior leadership team or someone came on board. I wanted them to be a part of that news. I wanted them to be treated like family so that they understood they were getting the information even before it hit. Uh, you know, we, we would schedule that call at the same moment we would publish the, the release. Uh, we can't share inside information with franchisees, but we can share it right at the same time. So they're getting it and they're getting it directly from us. In addition to that, um, you know, there's, uh, there's the one-on-one -on -one conversations that I had with uh, franchisees to talk to them about their specific business. How is their business? How are they doing in the middle of COVID? Because remember, that's when I joined. How are they doing with cash? Are they taking advantage of some of the, you know, the benefits that are being placed before them? Um, understanding how they're feeling about staffing. What do they think about past leadership? What should be, we be working on? So, you know, it's really an interview of them and their point of view, their perspective. Um, they typically want to interview me too. And I think that's great. And, you know, so the dialogue begins and the relationship begins. Uh, ongoing, there's a regular cadence of town hall meetings with them. We give them advanced uh, discussion opportunities for new initiatives and projects that are being rolled out. And then lastly is, and we're, we're so excited, you know, as we, we really turn the corner on these travel restrictions to get back on the road and spend time with them in their markets. Um, my COO, candidly, has been far better at that than I have been. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting back out there now, too into some of those franchise markets and, and spending time with them. It's, 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 you know, it, it's interesting. I will say that in my long tenure in the business, I have wonderful longstanding business relationships and, and I'd even say friendships with some 
wonderful people that are franchisees and in a number of different brands and systems. And it sounds like obviously your relationship building communication, you know, I guess when you're looking to make a big change and that does happen, you know, in different brands, like, Hey, we're going to make some sweeping changes. Do you sometimes go to like a select group of franchisees that maybe have been with the system the longest, or maybe have a certain number of units and kind of test out some of these changes with them first before rolling them out? Is that a good best practice to do? Absolutely. I think you'll find a lot of companies, uh, Jeff, have uh, have franchise advisory councils or other, uh, you know, uh, sounding boards of some kind or a council that, that they turn to. In a lot of cases, it's an ad hoc group of advisors that have a particular area of expertise. Like you say, if it's a technology thing, you would you'd try to put together, um, you know, a group of your technology savvy franchisees. Their perspective on things is aligned with the brand, and if if it's not, that's a that's a bigger issue. You know, we should we should work on that and understand where the breakdown has come from. But aligned, uh, while aligned, still different. They have unique needs, unique challenges. They uh, they don't operate on all of the same systems. The uh, the above restaurant systems are are often very different, and so. Um, yeah, you absolutely want to get their point of view. Um, you know, the operations issues, franchisees are very honest. They, um, they, especially those that have curated that relationship. So if you're making changes to the menu or you're rolling out a, an additional line of products, uh, you know, maybe it's even a new day part or something like that. Franchise involvement is critical because like it or not, without their support, you're not going to be successful. So you should desire and, and work hard to gain their alignment and their support as early as possible. You know, it sounds like, again, just like any relationship, communication, communication, and more communication, and just making sure those lines of communication are open, um, making sure you're listening to each other and just trying to make the brand better together. So it sounds like it's kind of a consistent theme in everything that you've said. Uh, well, Bob, yeah. You know, thank you for sharing your insights uh, with myself and everyone listening. You know, hopefully everyone listening can take away at least a few items that could impact your current organization or influence a change you're looking to make. And to those listening, thank you for taking the time to do so. We encourage you to download other episodes as well. Bob, we really appreciate you being here. So really, thank you so much for joining us. Again, thanks for having me. Love talking about the business and appreciate the time to do so. Take care. Thank you for listening to BDO To Go. Past episodes and related insights are available at bdo.com slash bdo to go. Or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate, review, share, or subscribe to this podcast. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on BDO's restaurant industry practice and the resources we provide, visit www.bdo.com slash restaurants.